Oh man, we had a great conversation today with Zach Oates with Ovation, right, Jake? Oh, it was so fun. He is dynamite. I mean, he had some great stories. He talked about some really cool things he's doing with his company and um, he gave some great advice. Uh, today, we're gonna listen about how he talks about how you should establish a beachhead and really focus on one market, nail that market, and then from there, scale. And uh, it was fantastic advice. You're gonna love this episode. Excited to have you listen. Let's go. Okay. I'm excited for another week of the Midnight Founders podcast. Today's going to be awesome. Yeah. We're here with Zach Oates. What's up? He's the founder and CEO of Ovation. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. And we just found out you're a podcaster as well. That's Tell right. Us about podcast that. is Given Ovation. Okay. You can find it at Given Ovation uh, on iTunes or you go to ovationup.com forward slash podcast. Cool. Uh, yeah, we it, it's mainly around we we talk to restaurant experts, so either people who run restaurants, used to run restaurants, people who invest in restaurants, technologists, and then we sprinkle in a couple of fun people. Like uh, I was telling you guys, we have the the founding member of the Jamaican bobsled team, Stephen M. R. Covey. We'll get some cool people to cool. to come on, uh, but it's all around sharing their insights, both strategies and tactics to help restaurants, you know, crush it. So very restaurant focused, yeah. food industry. Yep. Of course, well, and that that's makes sense with what business, you're doing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's get all the way back to the beginning. Uh, the our, our podcast focus on entrepreneurship. Uh, so kind of lead us through how you got to Ovation. Was it your first startup? Is Have you been entrepreneurial your whole life? Yeah. So I graduated college. I went, moved to New York City, worked at an ad agency, like the best agency that I could possibly find. It was the one that I wanted to work at since I was... Like I ever knew about adding. What was the name of it? It's called Naked. Oh yeah, I've heard of they that. They do one. super cool yeah. stuff. It's IMC, which is Integrated Marketing Communications, which is the whole concept is everything communicates. We worked with Dunkin' Donuts, and what did we do for their ad campaign? Uh, nothing. Why? Because they needed to update their employee handbook and clean their bathrooms. Right. <laughs> so that's what needed to happen because the handbook and the bathrooms had a message that was speaking much louder than their marketing was. And that's where, you know, I really got into the fact that everything communicates. I also realized after two weeks that so I very strategic, it. essentially. Yeah, yeah, very strategic. But yeah. I also realized like, it wasn't for me. Like, I'm, I'm not an, I'm not an agency guy. Two weeks in? Two weeks in, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. The and you'd already signed a lease in New York and everything? I was living in New York. I graduated <laughs> with a degree in advertising. And I was like, I don't like advertising. That's like, a tough ah, lesson. Ah, right? So what did I do? I just did what any millennial would do. And I just, like, took six months off. And I was like, <laughs> I need to. <laughs> Go write a book. <laughs> and so I took six months six months off. I traveled around. I didn't sleep in the same bed uh, for more than two nights in a row for six months. Just like traveled all over the place. Just total vagabond. Obviously pre-family, pre-responsibility, yeah, pre-everything, yeah. right? I'm just, I have nothing but, you know, a couple of credit cards to my name, there right? You go. Like, um, and then I realized that I, uh, I, I loved this idea of entrepreneurship. So I started to work with some people, started to get into it, and then came up with an idea Got some um, someone like actually believed in me and loved the idea, and so I started my first company. I knew nothing about business. Uh, I gave away sixty percent of my company uh, to two co-founders with no vesting. I didn't know what vesting was. I remember I went to my first investor meeting and they said, "He said, can I see your cap table?" And I said, "Absolutely." And I took a note and it said, "Look up cap table." <laughs> I had no idea what a cap table was. Right, like I just was doing stuff. And that company, we eventually, uh, you know, again, I kind of like fell into a bunch of stuff and I just knew hustle and just knew hard work. And I was like, and I want to build a brand. 
And so um, we eventually got featured on Mashable. And, uh, you know, I was all of a sudden talking with the CMO of Disney, CMO of, um, you know, Staples and Zappos. Wow. And I'm talking with like all these big companies. And I'm like, I literally don't even know what I'm like driving down to Vegas with my CTO. And like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know what they want. I'm just like, wait, was this like, you had a product in a sense? Yeah, we had a product. Oh yeah. So the product was, I developed an algorithm to translate social media data into gift recommendations. So, uh, my CTO, very, very smart guy. We've actually worked together uh, he helped build the first couple versions of Ovation. And anyway, so so from there, I got really passionate about startups and loved that whole experience. But then, you know, that company sold it. It wasn't like a great sale, but it was like, you know, it was okay. I mean, like, I was able to live for two years and, and do my thing. And then I uh, was thinking about what I want to do next. And so I went out and um, I got my MBA. And I'm like, because I was like, I wonder if I could go work for somebody. And uh, crazy idea. And so I went, I started looking at all these jobs. I was like, oh, it'd be cool to like work for ESPN. You know, I did an internship with Nickelodeon and I really liked like the TV space. I'm like, maybe I want to go there. Or my dream was to be a QVC host. And so maybe I could go work on QVC. <laughs> you and Lori, right? Yeah, oh my goodness, that'd be a dream come true. I know. So I, I was like looking at all this stuff and every single job that looked somewhat interesting, it said MBA required, MBA required, MBA preferred, MBA required. So I'm like, I'm going to get an MBA. And, and here's the concept is my, my thinking was I want to elevate my ordinary because my life mantra is to choose to live an extraordinary life for an ordinary one will always be waiting. I can always go get some middle management job making high five figures, low six figures. Like I can always go do that, you know, but the concept is what, what about doing something I actually like doing? I went out and I, I actually knocked doors for a summer. So my first company wasn't doing so well during um, for a while and I needed to go out and raise money. Didn't want to do a down round. And so I went out and I knocked doors and I raised enough money to, you know, keep me, keep the, the company going for another year uh, until we were able to sell Test it. control or alarms or? Yeah, what? I did alarms. Alarms, okay. So actually uh, smart homes, technically. There you go. <laughs> um, but then I... Uh, so, so this whole concept of like elevating my ordinary, I went and I got my MBA and then I worked at, uh, did another company during the MBA with, uh, called Kaiband. And, uh, you know, my claim to fame at BYU is I won more money in business competitions than any student in the history of BYU. So I won over $800,000 in business competitions. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like we, it was, it was, we did pretty well, but, um, and then I just. With Kaiband? With Kaiband and then my other, and then I did some other like, uh, competitions. Okay. So. Anyway, that, that's a great way to, you know, work your way through uh, an MBA program. That, that could have been your career itself, 800000 yeah, I mean, could have been, right? then, uh, then I realized, I was like, oh, I'm kind of like, oh, I, could, I could be like a pitch guy, right? Yeah. Going back, <laughs> Lori, uh, QVC. No, not yet. Professional uh, pitcher. Yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be the dream in the future. But uh, I, I realized that I wanted to go work for someone and just like see what that was like. I knew what the startup life was like. So I ended up not staying with Kaiban full time. I went over to, to PwC. I did management consulting. And the whole time I was there, I was thinking, man, there's all of these, you know, and then I travel a whole bunch and like all of these places I'm going to, all these restaurants I'm eating at, there's no way for me to give feedback to them. Hmm. I could complain to the, my waiter or waitress and like, what is that going to do? Go nowhere. I can go and leave them a negative review if something went wrong, but like, I don't want to hurt their business. And so what do I normally do? And I'm not going to take a long survey. So what do I do? I just, I just leave. And they never hear 
uh, about why I don't come back. And so that was something that just kept on coming up over and over and over and over again. And I just kept mapping it out and mapping it out. And I got together with uh, my former CTO. He lived in Austin. I was living in Dallas. I drove down to hang out with him for a weekend. And I'm like, hey, do you want to like map out this company with me and see if we can like start something? And that was the birth of Ovation. And so we started it up as like a simple iPad app. And here we are five years later, $6 million of funding and 2,000 restaurants. And we're, we're still going, man. What are your That's revenues, incredible. roughly? So we're at, we're at 1.8 million ARR. And COVID just like wiped us out, right? So like sure. we, we, start, we were cooking, 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 cooking. Things were going well. Um, but one of the problems is we weren't actually focused on restaurants our first two and a half years. We were just focused on any business that would pay us. So <laughs> we were working with summer sales companies. We were working with restaurants. We were working with dentists and lawyers and retailers and spas and chiropractors. And then all of a sudden COVID hit. We went down to a team of three, right? We were at like 15 people. We were cranking. We went down to a team of three and we're like, well, like, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, we can't do everything. And that was a big lesson I learned in 2020 is that if you're, if you're not doing something for someone, you're doing nothing for no one. And when, when, when we realized that we had to pick a thing and a person, when we, that, that something for someone, that's when things started to hit traction. So in August of 2020, we decided that we we're going to focus on feedback for restaurants. We grew 250% from August to August. And then from, you know, this last year, from August to August, we grew 257%. And that growth has come because we reduced our TAM, because we stopped caring about uh, just saying like, hey, we're going after like a $500 billion industry. Because like investors love to hear that. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get anywhere in a $500 billion industry unless you get your first 10 million. And where is that first 10 million going to come from? And how do you make a really sticky, great product that's building value in the world? So cool, Zach. In fact, it's funny you bring this up today because I've had not one, but two conversations about that exact topic, that focus, right? Yeah. Establish a beachhead. I've had two of those today already. One this morning and one at lunch. And I said, hey, you've got to, it's hard because it's painful. You got to say no to a lot of people to say yes, yes to a select few and then focus all of your efforts on that select few. And, and, and see I if it works great. there. And if it doesn't work, then pick a new thing or pick a new person. But you got to have a thing for a person or you're never really going to get through. Like I, I think yeah. about, we have this glass sliding door in our, in our house. And our kids went up and running around the kitchen table. They bang into that door all the time. Never an issue. Well, my wife got sick of them, like, escaping through the back door. And so she wanted to drill, like, a little hook. Well, she drilled a little too far into the door and nicked the glass. And just a little nick, just push, the whole thing shattered. But isn't that how business is? That if you're trying to break through, you don't break through by putting a ton of surface area on the same thing. You find a way and then it opens up, right? We would, we would be not even a quarter of where we are today if we hadn't taken our entire, you know, everything that we're doing for everyone from a $500 billion market to starting off with like, you know, a $5 billion market, which great, let's just like start there. That's a lot of money, yeah. you know? There's, there's 750,000 restaurants in America almost a million North America and, uh, you know, North American Spanish speaking like Mexico and whatever. And great. I can, I can work with 80% of those. 
So can you can you like eight hundred thousand? Is that is that a good enough number? Yes. And let's try to get ten thousand of those because that's right. so cool. <laughs> good for you, Zach. That's awesome. So how quick when COVID hit? How quick did the faucet shut off? Great question. So I I was at a trade show March thirteenth, and all of a sudden everyone was talking about COVID. They they were like, oh, it's okay. There's like they put out hand sanitizers, like they put like uh, you know that. What's when you could still find it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. This is the very beginning. And they just hand sanitized everywhere. And that was that was what they used. And I was like, this is weird, but OK, let's like use hand sanitizer and talk to each other. And then we got back. And then that Friday, the, you know, when the NBA shut down, I was like, what? <laughs> and <laughs> that was when that it was, was real. March when the 12th, NBA, when Rudy Gobert got COVID. That yeah. was when right? everyone and so, started yeah, maybe it, it was serious. It was that week. So it maybe was that it was, weekend, I think. Right. Yeah. So that's when I was just coming back from this trade show. But that's when everything like you know, got real. And Monday we sat down and we're like, this is like a thing. So uh, the next day we decided that we would call every single customer and see how things were going and just proactively reach out to them. And the whole team, that's what everybody did. Developers, sales, customer success. We just called every single customer. We took all of our customers, broke them up and just called them all, had a spreadsheet, checked, you know, if we talked to them, when, how they're doing and are they going to cancel, pause or keep going. And, um, but good for you for being proactive like that. Yeah. I mean, and we got a lot of cancels because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you proactively canceled yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but as a result of that, you know, we, we, uh, and also our opportunities, like our opportunity pipeline literally went to $99. We were at like a million dollars in pipeline and it went to 99 bucks. It was like in, in a matter of two weeks and our, our revenue got cut down to a third in a matter of uh, two months. So what did you do? What was the plan? I mean, you know, I, I, I called up um, one of my one of my uh, first investors and I'm like, Glenn, man, what do I, what, like, what should we do? And he goes, you need 18 months of runway. Assuming that what's what's your what's your projections? Like, I'm assuming we're going to lose a third of our revenue. He's like, no, assume you're going to lose. Assume you're going to lose two thirds of your revenue. And you need to have 18 months of money left. So do whatever you have to do. So we went down. So the first thing I did is I looked at every single uh, person and I, I went through every single expense for the, the previous three months. So January, February, and then we were halfway through March. And so I took halfway through March and I looked at every single expense to see which was recurring, which was one time. And if it was a recurring uh, expense, I put like, you know, uh, I, I sat down with, I put down who owns that. And then I sat down with that individual that, you know, cause I had two partners at the time. So I sat down with each of the partners and I said, is this a one, two or three? One, I have to have it. Two, I really, really want it. Three, it's helpful. Anything that was a three, gone, hundred percent. Anything that was a two, we, we had a discussion on it. Anything that was a one, is there any way to like lower that budget? So that's what we that's what we talked about, um, and and that included, by the way, people. Oh, you ouch! Know, that yeah. was that was the hardest thing is we had to have a conversation on what are we spending on the credit cards and what are we spending on on human capital. I can just feel the angst. Yeah. Can you feel it? I that's, mean, that's oh. so tough, dude. It was it's a rough I, decision. I literally was stress puking because it was just it was horrible, right? And I'm yeah. up all night long trying to figure this out. And then I'm going through all, I'm because I'm the CFO as well. I'm the CEO and CFO. Mm. And so it's like, I'm up all night trying to figure out these numbers, trying to figure out how do we get to 18 months. And 
you know, just having to realize that we got to cut, 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 cut. And it was really, really hard. So you went from 15 to two? Is that three what you people. said? Three people. So that was, that was probably like the, the worst time of my life. Like just, just like professionally, it was just so challenging to, to have those conversations and be like, I'm really sorry, you know? And pretty much the only person that we didn't cut was our unpaid intern. And, like, oh my. <laughs> and, and the founders and then all of us founders, we had to take pay cuts. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was the thing that was like, uh, that was very challenging to do. And then it was a matter of like, can we get out of this hole? Right? Is, is when is this going to end, and how is it going to end, and what do we do? And yeah, there's no certainty at that point. No, no one knew right? exactly, and so everything was up in the air. And and um, then you know, like my my head of technology at the time, we had to part ways as well because he couldn't get on to the new strategy. There was a big product that he had built. We built an entire loyalty system that was just like simple and beautiful and clean. And I just said, we got to drop we, it. Yeah, we're dropping it. We're done. We're not doing loyalty, period. We are no longer doing loyalty. All of that work that you put into it, I'm sorry, but like we can't. And every single meeting we had, he was like, well, you know, loyalty. Well, you know, loyalty. And so finally I'm like, dude, we got to part ways, man. This isn't, this isn't working out. Like I need you on board with this new strategy of just streamlined focus. I need everything that you've got going to this one thing because all of us together, I think we can make it work if we just focus and do one thing for, for one group, but I need you on board. And he couldn't get on board. And so we had to, we had to part ways. So that was, that was tough too. Right. And it was just, it was one of these moments where you want, you want so badly just to, to find really good spots for all these people. And at the end of the day, one of the things that you also got to realize is that you've hired very talented people and these very talented people even during COVID, did not have any trouble finding a new job. Yeah, And so part of it was like, I felt sick about it. I felt really bad. I felt like I let them down. I felt like I betrayed them. But on the other hand, I'm like, but they all landed on their feet. Like, they're, they're all okay. And it's a tribute to your uh, recruiting skills. Well, a tribute to the fact that, like, there, there's really, really good people out there. Yeah. You just got to find them, right? And yeah. I think that when we – and some of them, we've actually been able to even bring back – to ovation. I was going to ask that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like one of my, you know, our, our number one salesperson was, uh, someone that he, he was able to, to come in and to, um, he was, he was with us before COVID we had to part ways. He went and got another job and then we just like stayed friends. Like we went to lunch every now and again, just cause I really just like him. And as soon as we could, the first hire that we made, I called him up. I'm like, Justin, can you come back? He's like, yeah, man. And then he ran our <laughs> round PR two. Team, here we go. And he's still with us today. That's and, so great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I love that aspect of it coming full circle. But I think that it's it's uh, it's really cool when you're able to actually, like I said, build value for your customers and build value for your people. So Zach, I mean, that's that's a journey. I don't know if we've heard that story in that kind of uh, you know despair moment where it's like, oh my gosh, my business has gone overnight, pretty much, right? So what what have you learned during that whole process? What advice would you give? I mean, help help other entrepreneurs out that may come across that or have something similar happening right now. So here's something that is not advice that I hear very often, but it's been some of the most helpful advice that I've learned for myself, especially once you get a family, right? And to me, once you get a family, it's like 
all of a sudden it matters if you die. Now, what I mean, like, obviously, look, people, if I died when I was single, like, yeah, people would be sad. People would go to my funeral and be like, well, he lived his whole life before he was 26. <laughs> like, whatever, you know, they'd, they'd say all the things. They'd be like, he was a great guy, nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like, oh, okay, great. Thank great you. Great on podcasts. Yeah, awesome. Got to listen to it. But, like, once you once you have a family, then it's like, okay, it actually, like, matters, you know, like, to, to like, stay alive, you know. Before, yeah. I wanted to live because I love life. Now I want to live not only because I love life, but because the the trauma that I I don't want to put my family through, right? And your responsibility that you have exactly. to them. Mm-hmm. So um, that wait, that was a really grim way to get into what my life lesson was. Yeah. So but the advice is the right? advice <laughs> is I think as you look at what you're doing and like how important life is and how important it is to like maintain that communication with your family. With my wife, what we basically did, and I'll give you the I'll give you the numbers. I, I had, I saved up $100,000 for, which I called my entrepreneurial fund. And I told my wife, uh, okay, this money is, you know, she was super on board from the beginning. Like when we met, it was like, I'm an entrepreneur. Hi, my name is Zach, by the way. Right? It's like, <laughs> so she knew what I was when she picked me up. But when it came down to it, it's like, okay, I had this $100,000. And I'm like, when this money runs out, I'll quit and go get a job. But but let me have this $100,000 to do that. That's cool. And don't worry if the money is, if there's still money there. And every single Sunday, we went down, we said, here's where we're at with our finances and here's where we're at with our entrepreneurial fund. And we looked at where we were at in that 100,000 and just seeing that money go kerchunk down, kerchunk down, kerchunk down. It was like stressful. And it got down to, we had less than uh, a month and a half runway. But she never once was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because she knew as soon as we, that was the deal. As soon as we got, as soon as I had no money left in that account, I was going to quit. And if I couldn't build a company that was making enough money to pay me with $100,000, then I felt like it wasn't a good enough idea or I'm not a good enough entrepreneur, right? I feel like you could do a lot of things with a hundred grand. And so that's what, that was the, that was the ball game. And so what I'd say is, uh, a lot of people say, burn the boat, just like, put it all in line. And like, a lot of people do that. You like, you talk to Brandon Rodman of, of Weave. And maybe that's why he's Brandon Rodman and I'm just Zach Oates. But like, he really like put it all out there and like, you know, uh, sold his car, mortgage his house, like all this stuff. And he's got a crazy story about that. But for me, it was like, I, I wanted to just, uh, I was okay with a smaller success if it meant that it was a happier family. So I would just say one of the things I learned was, um, have your jumping off point and don't jump until you get there. Don't even think about it. Just stay so focused on what you're doing and set a date, set a dollar, whatever you need, set a point where you can say, okay, am I still in? And if you're still in, then set another date, set another dollar. But like, you've gotta be able to jump. And, And this is the same thing, the reason why I believe in divorce. A lot of people say divorce is not an option. And I say, okay, well, if it's a crappy marriage, like why, <laughs> why live your life sad? You know? So my wife and I always talk about how divorce is always on the table. Why? Because I never want to get close to that. So I want to stay far away from that because that's always an option. Unlike people who like put up this guardrail and so they're just going their whole life banging against this guardrail <laughs> of, of divorce because that's it's fascinating. Like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Cause like, we're never going to get divorced. It's like, no, like we're just going to be miserable for 50 exactly. years. Exactly. Yeah. But like if I'm a douche, like I fully expect my wife to divorce me, right? 
And that's the, that's the concept of like entrepreneurship is that if you build a really good business and you don't get, don't get to those guardrails, right? Make it such so that you don't run out of that hundred grand. Make it such that when you get to September 29th, which is one of my dates, that you don't want to quit because you love what you're doing. You're building value. And if you don't fix those things that are going to make you want to jump off the edge, right? Fix it, make it right and have that jumping off point. So I say, leave your boats there in the water, leave your boats there, but don't look at them until you get to that date or that dollar amount. That's cool. I don't know if we've ever had that advice before. No, I love that. That's I love interesting. That yeah. I mean, I fully embrace the idea of like burn your boats, but I, I like this idea even better where it's like, don't burn them, but like lock them up. Exactly. You're mitigating risk that way. I, exactly. I, I, so my dad played in the NFL for 14 years. He's like, he was very talented. Dad was a pro athlete. Mother was a oh, model. I unfortunately got my dad's looks and mother's athletic ability. But what that meant was that the best I, of both worlds, the worst of both worlds, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm, I know, but I'm trying, I, I, I'm trying I, to help you feel good about it. <laughs> I, I feel like, um, you know, I was in sixth grade, I was playing football and I was like, dad, I really want to quit. And he says, you go out there and you give it everything you got for two more weeks. And if at the end of two weeks you want to quit, okay, by me. And so I went out there, I gave it everything I got. I remember even just having asthma attacks on the field because I was going so hard. At the end of two weeks, I was like, dad, I hate this. He's like, all right, do something else. You can't sit home, but you don't have to play football. You know, so great. Started tennis, did the musical, like all that stuff. And, and it's okay. It's okay that like I never won a Super Bowl, right? But like at the end of the day, I didn't just quit because I came home after hard practice. Like my dad was like, it's okay if you give it everything you got. And every single morning I woke up just thinking about that Friday to like, okay, I got to quit. I got to, but I got to do this. I got to give it everything I got. But then like, you know, but that's the thing is like, for me, it, it was so much less stressful for me, for my wife, for my family, uh, for my in-laws, quite frankly, <laughs> knowing that, knowing that there was a jump off point and knowing that I'd elevated my ordinary. So worst case scenario, I had an MBA. There were lots of jobs that looked interesting and I could always go get one of those jobs. You might only last two weeks, but you could go get but it. But I'd go get it, <laughs> get that paycheck, save my money for the next entrepreneurial fund. Flashbacks from New York. Oh, yeah. That's cool, man. Zach. I, I love that story. huh? I called my wife. So I got an accounting degree and got, a, got my first job in corporate accounting. And I called my wife the first day and I was like, I can't do this. One day in, <laughs> so Where I, Kelsey I, I was like, that now exact what? same. Oh. That isn't that stressful? Yeah, and you, especially when you're like, you're done. Like I got, I my, got degree, my degree, and yeah. now I'm here, and I'm like, what did I just do? That's exactly. I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my. I can't do this for like two more weeks. Yeah, like that's exactly the conversation that we had. I was sitting in the lunchroom. I heard this story. So then what happened? J.C. Penney. Oh. I was doing corporate accounting for J.C. Penney in Salt Lake, and I just I. You know, my dad owned his own business my whole life. And so I grew up with the entrepreneurial, like, feel. You know, I knew what that was like. I knew the autonomy. I knew that you had the ability to make decisions and make changes in the organization. And you were stifled or something. I got there the first day and I just, like, I just that corporate feel. I was just like, I can't do this. And I, I lasted for like a year and a half. Um, and I won. I like, changed a bunch of stuff. They gave me some, some responsibilities and I, I eliminated a couple positions and, and saved the company like 
hundred thousand dollars um, one month on just a couple of the changes that oh, we wow. were able to make, automating some stuff or whatever. And um, I won the whatever their employee reward was for uh-huh. the quarter. I was like the employee of the quarter. And the lady gave me, I hope she's not listening because I loved her so much, but she gave me a $5 gift card to Target as my no like employee of the quarter. And way. I was like, I am out. Don't spend that all and, in one place there, Sonny. <laughs> well, not only that, but it was like the least thoughtful gift ever because it was a competitor. It was literally a competitor. Oh, yeah. That's it was true. like Gosh. I was at that's Target true. and I found this and thought this off would brand. be a good option. Total or it was brand. in my wallet like when we were getting ready to like give out this award for the quarter. Anyway, so I just felt like I'm never going to make a change Can you believe at this that? organization. <laughs> and so I was gone in like a week after that. Yeah, yeah. So I had the same experience you did. I, I like stuck it out for a year and a half, uh, but yeah, it never got any better. Yeah, it's, it's rough, right? Wow. I mean, like at PwC, same thing where I get there and I'm, I start doing the stuff and it's just like, I, I, I felt at least at, at PwC, the cool thing was I was working on cool projects, right? So I'm working for clients where the project that everybody wants to work on is the one that I'm working on. Right. So I'm working with my peers, bosses, boss is boss sometimes. Right. And like, that's a level of work that I'm, that I was doing. And even there, I was like, I just, I, it's not filling my bucket. You know what I mean? Like, and so I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll like write a book. And so I wrote a book and I published it and I'm like, still didn't really fill my bucket. And I also got in trouble from uh, PwC for publishing a book. Because they were like, was it about their internal processes? No, or it something? was about or dating. Had nothing to do with Peter. Oh, <laughs> but, okay. But they were just like, how do you have time to write a book? Like, if you have time to write a book, you should be putting that into PwC. And I'm like, I, I don't think I could do that. Because aren't they? I mean, they're they're huge proponents of eighty hour work weeks and put your whole life on the line. And right? Is, well, am I remembering I mean, that like, right? That's, I mean, not not publicly. Well, of course, <laughs> right? That's not what they say in the. But that's recruiting. what they reward you for, that's right? It. Yeah, I mean, like so. So actually, you know, with billable hours, like they really want you to stay below fifty. Like they really, you know, but. The difference between billable hours and work hours are could be quite different depending on the project For sure. you're on. Yeah. Um, but no, actually, PwC, if there was one place I could say that like I think would be really interesting to to work at, I really did like PwC in as much as I liked working at a big company. Um, but it's still and I, I really do I love the people there. I love the fact like the consulting lifestyle of Fridays getting to catch up on stuff, Monday through Thursday, you know. I had a really nice schedule where I left Monday afternoon and I came home Thursday afternoon. So I wasn't on like first flight out Monday and I wasn't on last flight out Thursday, which some people do. And so it was really nice because I got a chance to travel, but I also, it was pretty flexible. And so anyway, they were great, but it just still, it didn't like, if it's not filling you, no matter how, no matter how much you want that chicken to taste good, if it ain't good, it ain't good. You know? Yeah. Love that. Well, Zach, what, uh, I mean, you've, you've had a lot of crazy stories and a lot of interesting things happen to you, right? What is the entrepreneur story that's just would blow people's mind? The craziest thing, the wildest thing that's happened to you as an entrepreneur? I, I think, um, so here, here's the thing. And this is, this is why I've, I've thought about this a little bit because, there's obviously some stuff you're allowed to talk about, some stuff that you know you can't talk about, and other stuff where it's like I've buried the hatchet with people, 
And I don't necessarily want to to bring that. Don't up, share right? names if you don't. Oh, if you yeah. don't but need like, to. Like you know, <laughs> things things where you know I hired a consultant who I then um, signed an equity agreement, who then decided, hey, I'm actually not going to be an advisor to you because I'm starting a competing company, and then called our customers. It was like we do what Ovation does, but cheaper. Like things like that, Ugh. like really really sour. Um, th- those ones those ones hurt. Or when you start a company with someone. And you're you're a very big part of their success. And then, you know, when you're talking about, you know, life plans and what you want to do next, they're like, well, you know, you don't uh, I, I don't really value that much. Like literally those words being used. And it's like, oh, OK, well, that's like weird. so stuff like that where, Ouch. It's like, you know, it it hurt. Um, but I will say that with both of those individuals, you know, even even with the one they're, they're still in business uh, competing with Ovation, but like I went to lunch with them, right? Like, and I'm still we're still texting friends, and you know, wish them a happy birthday, and like because it does no good to carry that negativity for sure. It does nothing for I you. I love that, right? Yep. So just like just like let it go, just build a better company, just build a better life, just grow from it, like. Yeah, I'm not saying like don't never waste s- brain cycles on worrying about that stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying that like you should never. Uh, you should never sue anyone. But I'm saying like, I feel like most of the time you don't need to, you know? So anyway, that and that's just, that's just me personally. But one of the things that's been really interesting lately is I've had to, so I'm going through this whole process of just, uh, of, of moving into a new house. And so we, we were looking for a house. To, Congrats. Family is growing. Yeah, Where are you going? Tough to find. Uh, we're going all the way down to Spanish Fark. Okay. So yeah, we're we're going. Got the A yet? Down yeah. south. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. working working on that. Other so. side of the train tracks. So it's uh, so we're moving to moving to a bigger house because we just like our family's growing and working from home and just like stuff that we weren't anticipating when we bought our house right now. So we're like, oh great, like it's got a it's got a few bedrooms and so that'll be perfect. Well, now one of the bedrooms is like my office and <laughs> slash my wife's sewing room and so anyway, we just everybody needs a little more space. So, um, but, so here's like the things that needed to happen. I needed to, I wanted to sell some stock in order for that down payment. In order to sell that stock, I wanted to make sure that Ovation was in a good spot. So I needed to, to raise money. So I needed to find, uh, well, I needed to find a buyer for that stock. I needed to find an investor to put money into Ovation because we just closed uh, a little round. And, uh, you know, uh, and so in order for the investor, so I found an investor in this crazy environment. And they, they put in a million contingent on us finding another million. So then we needed to find another million dollars. And then I needed to find someone and, and it was contingent on us cleaning up our cap table. So I needed to, you know, buy out my old founders. So now I needed not just find a million dollars for the round, but find uh, someone that was gonna buy out my, my old founders. And then I needed to get the founders to agree on a price and terms and like, all of this needed to happen in a matter of, of like two months, three months. And it was like, th- when I would look at that mountain ahead of me, it like made me sick every day of just the number of things that needed to happen to help my family be in a spot that they could feel comfortable. I bet. And it was just super stressful. And we we're making these hires with Ovation. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, especially when you have VC funding, there's only two things that you hear all day, every day, which is tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Because Good point. That, that, Good point. that money is getting spent every day. 
unless, unless you're profitable, right? And it's hard to be profitable as like a VC-backed company because that's like a dirty word used to be. Nowadays, it's a good word, which is great. So now we're like shooting for profitability. But And then as we went through and we're going through this whole process, I get everything lined up. I find all the pieces. Now, in order to do that, I had to get the my original founders to, uh, you know, the people that started, the, my co-founders to agree on that price. So we get everything done. We start the whole process, right? Everyone's in alignment. And then my co-founder calls me up. He sends me a text message late one night. And this is like the week. That domino falls, then click, 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 everything else falls. Sends me a text message. I decided this isn't a good deal for me. Uh, oh, not, man. Not and it was like, I have, I'm a pretty calm, even keeled person. That one sent me over the edge. I was like, I was so frustrated. So frustrated. Did you throw your phone or something or just? I, I didn't even, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, I remember I got the text message and I looked at it and I got it in the morning because I'd, I'd gone to sleep and I looked at it and I was like, I must be reading this wrong. I must have read that text like 20 times because I'm like, there's no way. Because everything was contingent. The success, the the vitality of Ovation, the ability for me to provide, the ability, you know, Ovation, we were, we were down to like, you know, very short runway, but it was okay because the money was going to come in. And this put everything in jeopardy. You know, I wasn't going to be able to move and like we were going to be stuck in this, stuck in this place that wasn't a good fit for our family anymore. And like, I was, what was I going to do? Yeah. Right. And so then we had to have a whole renegotiation and figure out a new price. And then he was like, I want double. And I'm like, dude, we can't, like, I don't have that. Like, that's not even like in the discussion. And so it was just so stressful for, um, that was like uh, for that whole week and just figuring things out. Cause that Friday, everything needed to get done by that Friday. And I got this text message on like a, on Tuesday night. So I got it on Wednesday morning oh. and it was just, Super late nights, super early mornings. I didn't wake up to my alarm clock because I just woke up in cold sweats in like the wee hours in the morning and just couldn't get back to bed. And like, how are we going to do this? And we just brought on a new VP of sales. And like it that getting everything lined up, feeling so happy that it was all there. And then just in one text, it all came crumbling down and then trying to put that deal back together. And so we're able to I was able to salvage it and we, we found a deal, but like at the end of the day, um, that was, that was a very, very stressful time. That was just, I'm thinking about it cause it was, it were just it's coming. Fresh. Yeah. I'm feeling stressed for you. Actually. Right? Like, <laughs> we got the money wired last week. We got everything oh, done. We that got, fresh. you wow. know, yeah. I mean like we, we just got, um, we're closing on our house under the month. Like it's, it was like all happened at the same time. And, and that's what makes you an amazing entrepreneur because you can get through those things. Here comes the hurdles. You jump them and you keep going. Somebody on LinkedIn going. the other day posted a video of a skier going off a cliff and he said, this is entrepreneurship. <laughs> and the guy's like just tumbling down the mountain. And then at the end, he like pops up on both skis and skis off. <laughs> and it was like, you're at that you, point. You yeah, never know. You're, ski you're skiing off the hill right now, but you just got through all these things and nobody sees. That's kind of like the that's highlight of the visual. podcast, right? Like yeah. you have all these things that are going on in the background that nobody sees about entrepreneurship, oh, right? It, it's like, <clears throat> and the problem is who do you talk to? Yeah. You can talk to your investors about that. You, you gonna, come on the midnight founders podcast there you go. and you That's tell right. your story. And talk to us as much as you want. 
<laughs> yeah, but that that is. So I actually started doing a thing. It's called the Really Long Lunch Summit, where I'll bring in, you know, like uh, twelve to twenty-four entrepreneurs. We go out, we rent a cabin. And we basically just like complain about how hard it is to be a CEO for a couple of days. But really, at, at the end, it's just like, I love that. Let's just like let's just talk and normalize that. This is what I tell everyone: the backyard. Are you ready for this? The backyard is always on fire. <laughs> the backyard's always on fire. You go on LinkedIn and you see all these people's posts and their perfect little companies with their perfect little families, and it's like at the end of the day, everyone has problems. And we just happen to have a front row seat to our back patio and all the fires that are there. And our job as an entrepreneur is just to make sure the fire doesn't get to the house and and not stress everybody out that there are fires going on, right? Like, right. It, it's okay. You're it's good okay. at these analogies, Zach. Keep yeah. going. I mean, you, <laughs> I you have a bunch of these in your back pocket. I love it. Well, Zach, our time is short here. What um, What's next for uh, Ovation and, and where do people find you? Yeah, so we're just about to, like I said, we're about to announce our, the close of this round. Really excited about that. Grateful that we're able to do that in this crazy environment. Congrats. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's going to be really awesome to help us keep that growth up. And, you know, we're going to be growing another 250% between this August and next August. Um, because we look at August 2020 as kind of like, I, I've, had a, I've had a company since 2017. I've had a business since August of 2020. Um, but... Yeah, so you can check us out at OvationUp.com. Check me out on LinkedIn, Z-A-C-K-O-A-T-E-S. And always happy to connect, always happy to chat, startups, entrepreneurship. And uh, if there's a way that we can build value together, love doing that. Thanks for being on the show. It's been fun, Zach. Good, Good conversation. Thank you. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.